Welcome to the Walk in Truth Christian Fellowship Church broadcast on the WITRN Network. Come join us as we study the Word of God together. Go get your Bible and let's see what the Holy Spirit is saying to us today. Christian Fellowship Church Midday Bible Study. We thank you for coming in and tuning in with us today. We hope that you will hear something that will encourage you, inspire you, and ask that age or question, what must I do to be saved? Again, we thank you for listening. Please get your Bible, sit back, and enjoy the journey that we're going to take. We're in chapter Philippians chapter 2, and we've been talking about uh, considering others more than yourself. We started with us each other then we now we're doing with the poor. And the next time we're going to be dealing with people who are not in the body of Christ. Okay. How do we consider them? How far should we go in considering them? Where you wish it should stop? Because that may be a slippery slope for some. At some point you do need to stop. And let God be God. And sometimes it's even hard with us dealing with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because there's, there's a heart in us that wants to go all the way with them. But there should be a wisdom in saying... I can't really do any good. God has to show them some things. You know. And we always run in that dilemma. Now, do you get punished for doing, continuing on? No. But if you find out that you're continuing on and nothing's changing, maybe you need to back up. You should always look for fruit. You should ask yourself the question, is any fruit being produced by the sacrifice in what I'm doing or is it I'm really doing it to show God that I'm with him. And it gets kind of blurred. Because you're like, I'm doing this because I'm supposed to. Okay. But if you're supposed to do this, and it's truly meant for God to do this, then there will be some fruit, a result from this, other than you feeling good. You see how you get prideful in doing good? Because it could be about you. No good is actually coming from it other than you feel good that you do it. That's pride. No fruit from it. Nothing you can measure. Nothing you can put your hand on saying, this the person I did this to is better off for me doing this. Only thing you come with, I did this. And I did that. And look at me. And you turn a good thing into a thing that's not so good. Because now you're coveting your goodness. And what you do. And it is a slippery slope. Okay? But we're gonna stick with Paul. Wait. So where is Paul right now? In our story. Where is he at? Where is he located right now? Prison. He's in prison. prison. And where is he in prison at? No. Where is he in prison at? No. In Rome. And he's chained to a Praetorian guard. And he's writing a letter back to the church that he loves. A church that he founded. A church that took care of him. A church that looked after him. A church that believed in him. But he hadn't heard from them. And they hadn't heard from him in almost two years. So they, out of love for Paul, sent their pastor, Epaphroditus, to come visit Paul and check on him. But when, when Epaphroditus got there, he got sick and almost died. Okay. And their worry is, which would be a natural worry, is 
if you are the man of God and you've shown all us all these miracles and all these blessings, how did you get locked up? Why aren't you going free? Why isn't God doing the same thing he did here when he was locked up in the Philippian jail? Y'all remember that story? When he was locked in the Philippian jail, God let him loose. Shook the jail, doors fly open, you know. And, and, and again, immature mind, you think if when God did it then for you, why isn't he doing it now for you? So you have to be careful when you say this slogan, God did it for me, he'll do it for you. That's not true. Now, if you mean by that, God can save you and he save me and he can save you. That's true. But don't take your circumstance and your deliverance from your circumstance and put that on somebody and they don't get delivered. Now they upset with who? God. Now, just like the Hebrew boy said, God's able. But if he don't get me out the fire, guess what? He's still God to me. So we have to understand. I was teaching Raquel the other day. I said this to her. I said, our whole purpose in, in as a Christian is one single purpose. If we got one faith, one Lord, one baptism, then our purpose is singular in nature. But it's expressed in many different ways. The body is meant to move and go into motion. You see my hands moving. You see my lips moving. But the purpose for my movement is singular right now. It's to teach you. So is the body of Christ. We have one singular purpose as ambassadors. is to represent who? Jesus. And tell people the gospel. That's our singular purpose. Now, Karen, crow like she crow. You crow like you crow. You live out your life like you live out. But our whole purpose as a body is to move in unison with, for the head, for the, with the head, which is Jesus Christ. So this is what I say. We have one singular purpose, but each of us will be put in circumstances that are different from the next person. So we master our purpose and lead the circumstances to God. That's why he said now is the acceptable time for salvation. When is now? Any circumstance that I in? I don't need to wait for an opportunity that's, that's fictitious in my mind to tell me I'm a group of people and I don't need to at least mention the Lord Jesus. Now you got to be wise in this, but what I'm saying is Sometimes you're worried about the circumstance versus perfecting the purpose. The word of you needs to be perfected. Let God put you in the different places. Sister Carter was talking about that, how she went to a Super Bowl party and she wasn't going to go. And they were doing what people do a Super Bowl party now, drink, smoke, whatever. She don't participate in that no more. So she stayed upstairs. They were downstairs. And guess what she told me? One by one. One of them ladies came up and talked to her. And each lady came up. She took them into another room and started talking about Jesus. Whereas at first, Sister Karen, she wasn't going to go. Because they were doing X, Y, and Z and she don't go. I get that. But aren't we supposed to go to those who are doing X, Y, Z so we can get them on ABC? Didn't Jesus go to be eat with sinners? but didn't sin. So that's when I told her. I said, you're perfecting your purpose, but you can't sit there and tell God we're not to send you. 
Why you always got to be around Christians? That's what Sunday for. Sunday's for us. We supposed to come together and celebrate Jesus all as a fellowship. But Monday through Saturday, you out there. You never know who you're going to run into. Don't worry about it. Just live out your life. And let your light shine that others may see. Your good works. For who? Him. So Paul is locked up. I say all that to say. It may appear that he's failing. Based upon their experience of the miracle. But Paul has to reassure him like I always reassure you. Adulterous generation seeks for a sign. But the word of God shall endure forever. The people don't need the miracle. They need you being the miracle that carries the message. You are a new creation. What more miracle did you want than that? But you got to understand your purpose is to deliver the message in any given circumstance. So Paul is chained to a Praetorian guard. And there's a point in this passage where it says, all of Caesar's house is hearing the gospel. So when he when Aphrodite eventually goes back with Timothy, he's going to tell them, look, the same thing Jesus told John the Baptist's people, the mission goes on, even though you're about to get beheaded. It's not about your creature comfort. I get it. Yeah, I said you're the greatest woman uh, greatest man born of a woman but that doesn't take the place of the message because even he said then the least in heaven is going to be greater than John the Baptist what does the least in heaven mean the one who has influence but is not affluent affluence means front and center influence means you can get a word to somebody and they trust you enough because they watched your walk that they would consider coming to Christ a lot of us, Paul wasn't affluent anymore. There was a time we read in Philippians where he was affluent. When was he affluent? When he bragged upon what? Him being a Jew. When he bragged upon himself being a Pharisee. When he bragged upon himself being a Benjamite. All that meant affluence. But when Jesus knocked him off his, off his horse, and humbled them and asked them, why do, you, why do you persecute me, my church? You can't kick against me, buddy. And broke him down and blinded him and showed him that he was a chosen vessel that he would have to suffer for the sake of this gospel. Paul said, what I had affluence in, God has given me influence. God is trying to give some of you influence and you still chasing to be seen. You need to be heard. The reason why a lot of us can't seem to break through to our friends and family members is because we haven't earned the right to have influence over them. They see you. But what do they see? Do they see the hypocrisy in you? Or do they see you really trying to walk for Christ? And what they see in Paul at this time is somebody who is in bad situation. Because if, if we were locked up in jail, we'd be trying to get out, right? 
And we will hope that God that got us out back in Philippi the first time will do the same thing this time, right? But the, but the purpose for Paul being locked up is part of his mission. God, Jesus told him that he would go before kings and queens and be the apostle to the Gentiles and to the Jews. So all God did was bring about the circumstance that put him in the place where God wanted him to be. But I'm sure Paul didn't think he would be there chained up talking to kings and queens. See, don't worry about the circumstance that God going to bring it about. You need to be prepared with your purpose. So Paul is prepared with his purpose. So they, at that church, there's a lot of rumbling going on, as we know. You got these two important women in the church who are fellow laborers of the gospel. When we get to chapter four, they into it. They cause a division in the church. And Paul is trying to deal with them. So Paul is slowly giving them doctrine based upon the backdrop of him being in jail. He's saying, look, let's, let's get back to what's really important. I'm on mission. Y'all need to get back on mission. And don't allow these two great women of God to continue to be at odds with each other. So he starts back in chapter 2, setting the tone for ending up in chapter 4, where he tells them, tell them to chill out. The unity of the body is at stake, and people are watching them. Okay? So we're going to go through, we're still dealing with helping of the poor. But I want to just continue to paint this narrative. When you think about this book, think about where Paul is at. Think about what's going on, okay? So, Arsenio, just start at uh, just start at uh, Philippians chapter two, verse two. Chapter two, verse two. Mm -hmm. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full of cord and of one mind. Now, do you see that he's setting the tone of how we should think? Same mind, same love, one accord. Same mind, same love, one accord. Same love. Same mind and one accord. Just right there, you can meditate on that. If that's what he says by the Holy Spirit that we should be, because he's talking to a church, how much more should we meditate on that and take some time to think about that? What does that mean? And I'm going to open up the floor right now. That part, just that part right there. Read again, Arsenio. Complete my joy mm -hmm. by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He said mind how many times? So this is all in your mind. This is in your head. Right? Mm -hmm. This is in your head. So let's let, let anybody, what does that mean to you when you read that? Anybody? <clears throat> to me, it means that. Speak up, Jack, so I can hear you. Oh, to, to me, it means that we all should be on the same page, think the same, um, love the same. Love the same. Um, have sympathy for other people. Okay. Um, but in, in right now, he ain't talking about other people. Who's he talking about? He, who's he talking about? The church. The church. He ain't talking about the outside right now. He's saying on the inside of the church, y'all need to exhibit the same love, the same mind. I like what you said, be on the same page. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you be on the same page and have differences? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Y'all yeah. 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 got to explain that to me. Make it plain. What? How can we be on the same page, Sister Curly? We got some issues. We got differences. I ain't going to say issues. Differences. How can we be on the same page? You're right. Okay, all who said yeah, you're right. 
So so now y'all got to explain it to me. Like, I don't know. Like, y'all done told me. I done, okay, y'all talking to somebody who don't know. Because that sounds contradictory. Because my, my life is different from somebody else's life. But my faith is the same as their faith. Amen. That was as better, simpler, and better as you could put it. Our faith is the same, and even though we may have differences. And we don't allow our differences to overrule our what? Our like-minded faith. We don't let our differences stop us from loving in the same because our love is based upon Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. So we are all centered in Christ, and when we think of love, we think of him. So being you can like you can like apples and I can like oranges, those are preferences which are fine, they're not wrong, but we don't let that apple and orange thing stop us from loving God and loving each other. Some person may like the tile holder in there, some person may say it should have been uh this way. It's this way. You know, you look at like why is it this why is it this way? That's a preference of yours, but don't let it trip freak you out. You know, you if the tile holder work. It works. So so take your tile and your preference and go sit down somewhere. Okay? Keep the love. Keep the love. If you if you want a tile holder this way, you should have came in and installed it that way. And if you want to go install another one that way, we fine. But the pro the issue is, Saints, what you want to see is that when Paul is talking, he wouldn't say these things if we don't usually allow our preferences to overrule the love and the unity that we can have in the body of Christ. When we are on one accord as, as walking truth and as members of the whole body of Christ, there's nothing that we can't overcome together. We've proven it over and over and over again for the past seven years. God don't need a lot. He just needs faithful folk, loving folk, folk on one accord. Okay, go to the next verse. I promise y'all we're going to get to Luke chapter 12. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. So in other words, you can do stuff, but don't always do stuff for you to get the glory. Do it for the benefit of somebody else. And sit back and don't worry about it. Because if you do it in humility... What did God say he going to do for you? He going to exalt you. And when God exalts you, can't nobody tear you down. When God exalts you, you can't nobody tear you down. Who, gonna, who can go against God? So when you do stuff for the simple fact of I'm going to do this and I don't want nobody to know. And I'm doing it for the betterment. I'm not doing it to be seen. I'm not doing it for affluence. And I'm doing it so God can pour in me influence. Because it's only through humility that God can pour into you. He can't pour into a prideful person. He can't pour into a vessel who already know it all. Where is room for God when you know it all? Where is God when you're so religious? Look at them. They stand up there. They supposed to have two gloves on. Mm. They ain't got their hand behind their back, right? They supposed to have their hand behind their back like this. They got their hand behind their back like that. Can't you say, oh, God, I can't stand it. <laughs> you can't even. And see, the left way, people were laughing. 
Y'all know that go on in church. We, we laugh because it's a true thing. You know, look at that. He, he, preaching, he, he preaching in a short sleeve shirt. He know it's all supposed to be covered. Okay. Hallelujah. You know, his collar on backwards. His shoes ain't shine. Her dress too low. Her dress too high. I wouldn't have wore them shoes with that skirt. You supposed to have black on, not dark blue. That ain't the uniform for the day. I called them last week and told them. See, but the problem is that 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 we that we we start doing stuff religiously and forget the purpose why we are able to do things religiously is to glorify God, and we will end up trying to glorify ourselves. As walk of truth, the body, I always want to say, is what we doing glorifying God to get somebody else interested enough in God that they'll get a life to Christ. Anything else is flesh. I talked about that today on my encouraging word. It's flesh. You got to come out of flesh. And flesh is so sneaky. Flesh is sneaky. It's still in you. You ain't conquered the old man yet. Because you still alive. You'll be fighting that booger till the, the end of time. Till you close your eyes, you're going to be still fighting this flesh. It won't be defeated until you die. But it can be subdued by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so do nothing in vain conceit. Go ahead, read. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So now we have a perfect example of how we should live with the greatness of what Jesus did. Jesus, who was God, put himself in flesh, this sinful flesh, so that he may be a servant to sinners. That he may call he may bring to pass the reconciliation that is required by dying on the cross so that you could be saved he traded in all and he veiled all of his rights and privileges so that you can be saved he could have called down legions of angels when the first person sinned against him and he they deserved to die but instead he took it he considered your life your eternal life more important than his privilege and that's what we should do we should consider who we dealing with when we dealing with people and look at everybody as a soul that needs to be saved and sometimes we need to take our little privilege and our pride and our right and say God got me in this circumstance with this person because God's tested my understanding of what he gave me at the cross and now I'm willing to be on the cross for them Spiritually, you can be on the cross for somebody else. Because you're supposed to represent the, uh, Jesus. 
No, you're not actually on the cross. You didn't bleed. You didn't die. But the Bible says you were buried with him and you was raised with him. So you represent him on this earth. So my question is, what's in your portfolio? Do you, is there a cross in there somewhere? You know, but you have to mature into this. It don't come overnight. As easy as I'm saying it, trust me, I, I wrestle with it every day. Because God give me a lot to think about. I got preferences just like you got preferences. Okay? But I ain't going to let my preference get to the point where it hinders the message. And that's what Paul is sending back to them. Let this mind be in you that's in Christ Jesus. What kind of mind is that? A sacrificial mind. A loving mind. A one accord mind. A mind that thinks about others more than yourself. Now let's go to Luke. <laughs> I ain't going to go no further. I could, but we're going to go to Luke now. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. Arsenio, uh, Freedom, how you read this time? Luke chapter 12. Uh, you start at uh, verse 15. Okay, now, now and, I, and I want you now think about what I talked about. Considering others more than yourself. And this is going to be a different look in a different way. And I'm going to see if you pick it up. Okay? All right. And we kind of were talking about this, you guys, right before we started talk, having service. The message today. We were talking about something that's in this realm. You'll see it. Okay? Luke chapter 12. I think, what did it say in verse 15 for you? Then he said to them, There you go. All right, read it loud and proud. Coming from the NASB. Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possession. And he told them a parable saying, The land of the rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will turn down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Amen. So in this parable, let's take it a little bit of time. Free to start at verse 15 again. So Jesus gathered his boys up. He gonna, he's going to give them a parable. In the parable is a teaching that he's trying to get across to them. Okay? So Jesus gave parables to give you a teaching. When I do my little stories, it's to illustrate a doctrine, a teaching. So he creates the narrative to get to the teaching. Okay? In the narrative itself, and it stands alone, there is no teaching. But there's a teaching that comes out of the narrative that we should be able to see. So he gives them a story. Go ahead. Starting real slow. Chapter, uh, verse 15. Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Beware and be on guard. Against every form of what? Greed. What is another word for greed? There you go. Boy, y'all see that. Y'all be surprised me sometime. Covetousness. Be on your guard not to covet. Okay? Covetousness is idolatry. 
Greed, covetousness, idolatry. Because what you covet is greater than your love for God. And greed is, I want more just for wanting more sake. Okay? Go ahead. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So in other words, what he's saying to you is, just because you got a lot of stuff don't mean that you can add anything to your life. You have all the money in the world, you're going to still die. You could be the richest man on earth, like Steve Jobs was, one of the richest men on earth, the Apple dude. He's still dead, ain't he? He spent, and when he found out he had cancer, he spent all his money trying this and trying that and going here and going there. He had affluence and influence. But see, you can have affluence and influence with man, but it don't do nothing for God. See, instead of him going out chasing stuff with his money, he should have been trying to find walking truth so he can get saved. <laughs> Just maybe. The one who able can do his silly bug. All you could ask, think and imagine, might have decided to add, to add some time to his life. But you thought your money could get you there. And all you did was your money got you in a nice grave full of nice dirt. And last time I checked, Sister Kate, dirt is dirt. There is not too many different kinds of dirt. You can have a little bit more of this or a little bit more of that, but it's still dirt. The worms are eating up his body. Okay? He's a corpse. Okay? So it don't add your getting stuff. Won't add nothing to your life. You know what? In the rest of the world, we think that. Now I got the money to go to the gym. Now I got the money to eat good. Now I got the money to save. Now I got the money. Now I got the money. Now I got the money. And don't you know you got a, a birth date and a death date and none of the things you acquire in this world can stop that date from happening. Because you came in the world broke. And you're going to leave here for real broke. Because you can't take it with you. But a foolish man believes that he can add time due, due to his affluence and influence. And he still don't know God. Because see, you get so influential that people boof your head up and you get so influential that people do everything you say. But you won't buy your need of God at all. We got some people in the church like that, in the body of Christ like that. They so important, they forgot they supposed to be working for God. I don't never want to be so important. I believe that y'all got to, got to come through me to get to God. The devil is a lie. No in the Bible does it say that. I am not your God. And nobody in this church is your God. We are all sinners saved by grace. Pastor, preacher, minister, Lay person, pew sitter. Yeah, we all need Jesus. Okay? All right? So they ain't going to add nothing to you to have some money. But is it is it wrong to have money? No. Because you can do a lot of good works for God with the money. And do some good works for yourself. God is not a hater of rich people. God just makes rich people more responsible. Okay? So this guy, he's just telling them this guy can't add nothing to us. Like, that's the first lesson. You can't add nothing to your life having all this money. Go ahead. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. So the land of the rich man, it made, it, hey, it was like he had an oil field and it just kept producing oil. Every time he put, his, his, put a hole in the ground, oil came up. Every time he planted something, it grew in abundance. 
It was the land of the rich man. It was his. And God was blessing him with, with, with abundance. Not in just his house, but his land. Wherever his land was, it was a land of milk and honey. And he was giving it to him. Okay, go ahead. And he began reasoning to himself. Oh, he began first wrong thing. Reasoning to who? Think about the prodigal son. Prodigal son came to himself. He's reasoning to himself. So let's see what man's reasoning to himself, about himself, for himself, get himself. I couldn't repeat that if I wanted to. Go ahead. Go ahead. What shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. So now he said, oh, I got a smart idea. I got so much. that what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down what I got to hold them and build bigger so they can hold everything that belongs to me. That make on the surface, that makes good sense, don't it? You got a one-car garage, you buy two, you got the land, build you a two-car garage. You live in a two-bedroom house and you got more kids, build a bigger house. But we're not talking about necessity. We're talking about luxury. You see? So he said, I got a good idea. I'm going to build me some bigger barns to store my stuff. Okay? Now what? Go ahead. And I will say to my soul. I'm going to talk to myself and pat myself on the back. And I'm going to say what? Soul. You soul. Have, <laughs> you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. In other words, I done built it. I got it going on. And I say myself. Look at me. I'm affluent. Everybody in all the other countries look at my bonds and know I got it going on. And you know what I say to myself, Arsenio? Not only do I got it going on because I built bigger bonds and I stored all my stuff, guess what? I'm going to sit back and chill. Eat, drink, and be merry. Because I got years of resources. And that's great. People, when I walk down the street, they say, that's the man with the bigger bones. Do you know how much stuff he got? He got so much stuff that even if he lived 100 years, he couldn't eat it all. I can see him peacocking through town. Strutting his stuff with his alligator shoes on. And his green suit. With his green socks. With his white shirt and his green tie and his green hat. He going to look good. He going to stand out because he got it going on. And his bonds are painted green. And he pull up in a green chariot. With a white horse with a green saddle. And if he could, he'd die the horse green. He's affluent. But let's see what his affluence gets him because we're going to see his affluence. He's not going to have many influence when it comes to God. Go ahead. 
But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. So all of a sudden he go to sleep after he's been eating and drinking. <laughs> and next thing you know, he listening. So I say, hello. And he like, my service is gone. My lady sleep next to me. Who's that talking? Hello, excuse me. God said to him, fool. What you mean, fool? Don't you see what I'm going to check How can I be a fool? I got all this. He said, fool. Not two days from now. Not a month from now. But this very night, you only got 15 breaths left. Your soul is required of you. Your soul. He never thought about his soul as he was acquiring all that stuff. That's one lesson. But there's another lesson that goes with what we've been thinking about. See, I kind of led y'all away from it for y'all to think about what we've been talking about. Okay? In Philippians. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Go ahead. And now you will own, and now who will own what you have prepared? Mm -hmm. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You're not rich towards God. What he's trying to say is you spend up all that time storing up for yourself, but you're not sacrificially rich towards God. Not with necessarily his stuff, but with his life. With his faithfulness. Now, how does this story relate to Philippians chapter 2, where it says, consider others more significant than yourself? What can you, why can you pull something out of that? Instead of turning down his barns and giving big ones after his crop was too much for him, he could have just saved it to the next fortune. There you go. That's it. That's it. That's it right there. You already got more than enough. Instead of trying to build bigger to hold what you got, you can give some of it away to the poor that's here. And what he had value in is was his riches for himself versus the poor that was all around him that he could have helped. He still could have ate, drank, and been married. But he had plenty. The Bible says he had more. He had stuff stored up for years. So you couldn't take one or two years of all that you have and give it to the poor that's around you everywhere? No, I'm going to keep it for myself. So Jesus is saying his riches are worthless because he didn't take what he'd been, good, been given by God to be generous towards those who God has put in front of him. He's in a circumstance, but he forgot the purpose. The purpose for anybody to be wealthy is to share the wealth with the less fortunate. That's God's economy. God don't care about you having it. But that's why he said in the, in the thing, it's easier for a rich man, for, for a camel to go through eye of a needle than a rich man to get in heaven because the rich man looks at his riches like this man looked at his riches and says, you know what? I got it going on. I don't even need God. Look at the abundance, and the, my abundance proves that I have a relationship with God. That's what you get from these televangelists. That's what you get from all these prosperity preachers. They they weave around, and it boils down to you are blessed because you have something to show for it. That's material. That's financial. 
But how many of them died and have no peace? What is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? He found out. And God called him a fool. So if we consider what we have, be like the woman who gave her last night. She gave out of her poverty while all of them were giving out their riches. And like Jesus said, by observation, she's giving more than them because she's giving her last. And the Bible says all that she had to live on, thinking that the system of Judaism that was supposed to take care of her wouldn't take a widow's last. That's not a story about tithing. That's the story about abusing a widow who had her last and she believed in a system that wouldn't even take care of her. You mean she got to give her last when she need to buy some bread to eat? You think that's God? It don't say nothing about that. It said she gave all that she had to live on and went away. If all she had to live on and that she went away, what Jesus was observing, these people throwing stuff in the thing and being seen. Because what they would have is like this little tin horn in the treasury. See, all this stuff that we do in the church in the sanctuary, it wasn't done in the sanctuary of God. It was done in the outsides. So they would have little tin buckets, Mr. K, that you would just toss stuff into and it will shoot down the chute. Okay? So you you could tell, you know, you know what quarter sound like. You know, it would be like... So imagine she giving one little thing, you know, clink. And Jesus is sitting back observing this with his disciples. And they didn't get it. There's no commentary from them. She said, look, look at that, look at that woman over there. And they looking. And they are amazed at how the rich people are giving. They're looking at the opulence of the temple and how great it is. And then they're looking at this woman like, she ain't really getting nothing. Why you paying attention to her? She gave everything she had to live on. And the system took her everything she had to live on. And churches now are doing that with you guys. Not with us. Okay. They use that story as Christian giving. That's not a story of Christian giving because there was no Christian then. There was Jews. Jesus hadn't died yet. See, they don't like that teaching, Mr. K. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take their money out of their pockets. You tell them, if you go back through the Jewish Testament, they were never to take from the poor. They were supposed to help the poor. Widows were supposed to be taken care of by the synagogue, by the church, by the temple. Because if you go to Acts, before Stephen got stoned, what was the problem with the widows? They weren't getting what the Christian widows wasn't getting what they were used to in the temple. The temple was supposed to take care of them. And, and that's what he said. The apostle said, you know what? It, it ain't beneficial for us. It's a good thing, but it ain't beneficial for us to wait on tables, get them their food. We need to stay in the scriptures. Okay, appoint seven men who are full of the Holy Spirit and let them deal with it. That's where we get deacons from. Let them deal with the day-to-day -day of these widows getting what they're supposed to get. So even in the first church, there was an affinity, there was a responsibility towards these widows. A widow was somebody who doesn't have a husband. And in them days, if you didn't have a husband, you didn't have no sons, you didn't have anything. So this widow gave her last. 
that this man has so much for seven years. It'd have been nice if he gave that, you know, I'm just conflating the stories. They're not conflated, so don't, the pastor told me, that, no. It'd be nice if somebody like the man who had all the abundance would have gave the widow something to live on. Where she shouldn't have had to give all that she had. Because it does not tell us that she was blessed after that. And you don't need to assume that because it's not in scripture. But what we do know is in scripture behind that. Jesus said this whole system, this whole thing got to be torn down. He told them, oh no, this is enough. Not one brick don't stand upon another. This thing coming down. How can it come down? Look how beautiful it is. Y'all not looking at what it's doing to my people. Church hurt. Church hurt. First glimpses of church hurt. You take it for those who don't have, so those, and then the temple had become so corrupt, they weren't doing what's right with the money. But as saints of God, let's go back to Philippians. Let's read that again. Start at verse uh, 2, Arsenio. We're going to wrap this up. Complete my joy mm -hmm. by being of the same mind, having the same love, mm -hmm. being in full accord and of one mind. Mm -hmm. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. That each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Where is it at? It's yours. In Christ. And where is it located? In Christ Jesus. So it's not like you got to usher it in. Y'all quit looking up. Please stop doing that. Holy Spirit in you. He said it's already yours in Christ Jesus. So it's nothing that you need to get. It's something that you need to submit to. You got all that Jesus wants you to have. You can't get no more. Of the power of the Holy Spirit, but you can yield to more of the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the trick. They try to tell you you need to get more, and the only way you can get more is come to me, and the way you can come to me is give me some money. See? That old money thing all the way back around. Come to me, stand in the $50 line, and you get and you're gonna get some blessings. Stand in the $100 line, you're gonna get blessed even more. Stand in the $500 line, God gonna send you a check in the mail. So the person who gave $50, who gave a last, can't afford to give $500, they feel that they're not going to get a greater blessing. You tell me God measures your blessings by the money that you give, like the fool? He said, today, fool, your soul is required of you. You got all this stored up. Now, is God requiring that you give, even if you're rich? Is he requiring that you give everything? No. Unless that's on your heart. But, man, can't you? You got seven years of surplus, and you can't give six months of it away? And see, the sad part about tithing is that's why you don't need to be tithing. Because I guarantee you most people don't tithe right anyway. You may tithe with this check, and then five weeks, five months down the line, you ain't tithing no more. So the Bible, you trapped now. Because if you want to live under the tithe, you don't get an excuse to saying I ain't got it. Because it ain't that you don't have it. It's just that you didn't bend, you did something else with your money. Which is, and I ain't saying it's wrong. But the Bible says if you're gonna live by the law, 
You don't get to pick and choose when you're going to live by. But when I live by grace, I give out of my heart. And if $1 today make me happy and $2,000 tomorrow make me happy, that's what I give. Because he loves a cheerful giver, not a giver that's sitting done by compulsion. You ain't got nothing to do with Malachi chapter 3. <laughs> nothing. You think it was just tithing that? You'd have to tithe all the food you got too. He says, bring all the stuff to the storehouse. The storehouse. It's right there in front of you. And you let them conflate that stuff to you. What do we have in Snooks? Food, yeah. <laughs> we transact money inside of Snooks, but Snooks is not a treasury, is it? We got Snooks for the food, and we got a bank for our money. So when the Bible says, bring this to the storehouse so that you may have food in your house. The storehouse for, for Israel started back when Joseph did it for the Egyptians. Store up time for famine so that you can give it away. They were supposed to store up stuff for themselves in times of hurt where they could come to the church, come to the temple, and get food from them. That's what the widow's allotment was. They shouldn't have had to go out and do anything. They didn't come to the temple, but the temple got corrupt. They was keeping the best food for themselves and giving them anything they wanted to give them. And that's what happens today in some of these food pantries. The church folk get to cut, cut the choice meat, Arsenio, and you get something that's been outdated for 20 months. You take it home, Sister Curly, put it in your refrigerator, take it out. You wonder, what the heck is that smell in my house? Then you be like, what is, where does that come from? As an unthought, it gets stinkier and stinkier. You like, oh, I can't eat that. Then you look at them, they got rib tips and hot dogs and all kind of stuff. And you're like, where you get? I got it from the food pantry. Yeah, y'all took y'all's first. But the food pantry supposed to be for the less fortunate and the poor. See that? See how corrupt? See, corruption don't change. Listen to what I tell y'all. Corruption don't change with culture. It just keep going on. Because men prefer darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. But the point is we should consider one another. Consider people more important than yourself. Get, be like Jesus that you don't consider yourself such a Christian that you can't reach back to somebody else and share what you have and also share the gospel with them. What Your message that you got is more important than the money that you have. But if, if, if I can get you to come listen to the message based upon you believe that I will feed you, then I'm going to do both. But I'm not going to just feed you food. And not give you the bread of life. See, because we can get, I think churches get caught up into that. They feed people, they feed people, they feed people, they feed each other. So everybody come to church because they know there's some sandwiches. You know, they come to church because they know we got donuts and coffee at the church. You ain't even listen to the message. The coffee get to smell and you're like, oh man, I can't wait to church over here. <laughs> There's a, there were times in the church we used to belong to they get the frying stuff in that basement uh, Bishop be saying hey we need to hurry and finish this because we need to get on that because I'm hungry I mean that's not, a, that's not a, a sinful thing but see you lost focus on why are we there we're here to fellowship 
and dine on the bread of life. Amen. And anything we do after that is okay. But if we don't do the main course first, as Kay was saying, if we don't hit the main course, we ain't got no reason to eat the dessert. No reason at all. As things begin to open back up, we'll start doing outreach ministry. But we're being cautious right now. Okay? And we're willing to give. We will let people come in. We're willing to get in the word, the Bible, teach them. We're willing to help those who we can help. But we're not going to put ourselves in a situation where we cannot sustain what we have trying to necessarily help somebody else. That's bad stewardship. Then y'all would be looking at me like I'm crazy. What you mean we ain't got our rent money? Well, you know, I, I was like the widow. I walked up, I saw somebody, I saw a church, and I gave it to them. How you gonna give our rent money away? Because I'm gonna trust the Lord. Yeah, I, I won't trust the Lord. Man, y'all better quit fooling them people and lying to them people because you don't even trust it. I'm pointing to you preachers. Y'all don't trust the Lord like that because if you didn't get the money from the people, do, are you still trusting the Lord? Ask yourself that question. If your church doesn't show any fruit and concern about other people and consider others on the outside of the body of Christ as well as the inside body of Christ, the leadership more significant than themselves, then you're going to always run into abuse. You're going to always run the church hurt. And you're going to always see that you're going to have people who have so much in the body of Christ and they're not willing to share it with nobody. But then they're going to tell you that you should follow them to get what they got and it's normally get them even the more. You already got a Benz out there. Why I need to get in the $50 line? But you to get what I get, you know, I had to give too. That's a lie they tell. They probably didn't give nothing. They figured out a way to get and they've been getting ever since. But we have to figure out a way to give out of love, being on the same mind, of one accord, having this mind that's in you that's in Christ Jesus, a mind that's willing to sacrifice because God's love is sacrificial first and foremost. And then it's beneficial, meaning that when, when you plant the love of God in somebody, the true love of God and the true gospel of Christ, then there's going to be a fruit that come out of it. Now, it may not come out when you want it because it has to come out in due season. But the love of God is sacrificial. The love of God is beneficial. And the love of God shed in our hearts will last forever because it's his word. That's what governs us. That's what makes our behavior change. It's not a law. It's the royal law. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if I love my neighbors as myself, I'm not going to steal from them. I'm not going to covet what they have. I'm not going to bring harm to them. I'm only going to try to help them. And through the testimony of the saints on how good God has been in spite of our behavior, God went to the cross for us so that we can have a relationship back to him. And that's all we tell people about this goodness of God, that he wants to have a relationship with us. And yes, he don't let you get away with sin. We don't even want to tell you that. What we want to tell you is if you will truly have become a child of God, you won't sin no more because you love him. Not because you do it legally. Not because you're scared that you're going to go to hell. You, you, there's no more condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8 1. So if there's no more, then there's no more. So how do we do right by God? Because we love the fact there ain't no more. We love the fact that he died for us. So when I want to do wrong, I look at his love and I can't do wrong. But when I look at the law, the law just stirs up me to do wrong. Don't do this. 
I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm grown. Ain't nobody gonna know. Ain't nobody gonna know, but God know. But you say you're a child of God. Are you really? Go to Romans 8, right before we're gonna finish this up. I want y'all to see something. Go to Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, start at verse 6. All right, so now start at verse 6. For to, the, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. To set your mind on the, fle on the flesh is death. That ain't the mind that's in Christ Jesus. So we got two kind of mindsets. One on flesh, one on love. One on flesh, one on one accord. Go ahead. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So the mind of Christ is life and peace because it's set on the spirit. Where is the spirit? In you. So it's not about you, Sister Jackie, getting more spirit. It's about you submitting to the spirit in you. And the only way you're going to know how the spirit talk is through the spirit word. You can't communicate to the spirit through your own vain attempts of religion. You got to come to God what he gave us to come with him with. He gave us a manual to come to him with, to grow from the spirit. So the mind that's on the flesh is death. The mind that's on the spirit is life and it's life more abundantly. Go ahead. For the mind that is set on the flesh is is hostile to God. So now I got a mindset that can be hostile to God. He's telling saved folk this. This ain't unsaved folk. He's contrasting the waters going on inside of you. So when you are acting in the flesh as a saint of God, you are hostile towards God. You are rebellious. You get up here and say anything you want to say. Tomorrow, God told me to say this. And if I can't find it in scripture or find a principle in scripture, you are operating in your flesh. That's rebellion. That's disobedience. And you need to repent for that. I'm going to do what I want to do. Okay. You need a spanking from God. Go and do what you want to do, sir. Rebellious person. God going to show you. He ain't playing with his children. So the man that said on flesh is death. Go ahead. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So it doesn't even submit to God's law. And it can't. Sister Curly. It didn't say it might. It says it can't. A rebellious heart cannot please God. That's what you're going to find out. If you are rebellious, you are not pleasing God. You can't please God. You won't submit to God. And that's just the way a TIE is. You can't sit here and tell me you following God doing what the heck you want to do when it don't line up with what God said we should be doing, where there's no love, there's no sacrifice, there's no oneness, there's no one accord. It's all about you and what you want to do. All right, go ahead. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There you go. Say it again. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. No, Senator, he said, there's sometimes you please them. When I'm in the flesh, sometimes I'm, you know what, I'm doing this to, you know, I'm doing good. He said, those who are in the flesh, what? Cannot. Cannot. Y'all need to underline that. <laughs> cannot. Will not. Won't. Nada. Mm-mm. No matter which way you turn it. When I'm black in my blackness, I'm in the flesh. Can I please God? When I've got my riches and I've hoard them 
and I build bigger barn, fool cannot please God. See, this is see how simple God make it for us, and we make it all mysterious. There's some parts of the Bible that are mysterious, but there's some stuff that's so plain. That a three-year-old, look, don't go in that cookie jar, because I ain't gonna be happy. Now, they may rebel and go in it anyway. Does that please you when your child is rebellious? Nope. And what normally happens when your child is rebellious, what do you do to them? Turn them, turn that hind up. Now, now, we don't we don't spank like we used to, but you know what the way society is? Maybe we need to go back. Maybe we need to go back to woodshed type of experiences. Putting Johnny in the corner don't hasn't worked. Yeah, yeah. Johnny don't care about going in the corner because you ain't because what you gonna do so he don't bother you? You gonna give him your phone while you in the corner? Right, right. Go ahead, Arsenio. Read. We almost done. You. You. However. However, that's you. Mm-hmm. Say me. me, and me. Okay, however. however. Are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Mm-hmm. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. If you say. That's because the spirit of God can't dwell in you unless you say. So he bring that question. <coughs> are you really saved? In fact, if. Or you can say since. Because it does dwell in all saints. Either you saved or you ain't. That's a, I mean, that's just so simple. All right? And if you're in the flesh continuously and continuing sin, because you believe there's this grace that abounds because of sin, and you do that on purpose to, to, to gather grace, then you ain't saved. You don't tempt God by doing evil so that God can come and straighten it out and do good. You ain't got to do that on purpose. You evil through and through already. Okay? Whatever good you got is God. All right, go ahead. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. There you go. Underwrite that. Anyone that does not have the spirit of Christ. How do you have the spirit of Christ? You just read Not being in the flesh all the time. Knowing the difference. See, a saint can get in the flesh. Before y'all go there, we're not perfect. We, we are so far from perfect, it ain't even funny. Okay? But the issue is not perfection and sinless perfection because Jesus was the only one that had sinless perfection. But because we are placed in him, we get attributed righteousness and we're justified by what he did on our behalf. So we vicariously live our life out through him and his righteousness. We get imputed. They call it imputed righteousness. It's not a righteousness of my own, but it's what he gave us through his death, burial, resurrection, which comes under the banner of grace. Okay? But you don't belong to him if you're living like that. But the difference, what I, I'm going to say this and then we're going to end. The difference is the saint, as they mature, they know when they're in their flesh and they know when they're in the spirit. And what you do, and it could be minor things, it could be great things, but what you do is the minute that you recognize that you're in your flesh, you change course. That's called repentance. That's called change of mind. The minute that I'm recognizing my flesh, like dealing with these chairs, I had to bring it in. But I didn't do nothing. The day that it happened, I was hot all the way home, ate my peanut butter jelly with the bed. But the next day, when God woke me up and didn't call me a fool, I said, oh, I'm going with a due attitude. Lord, I'm sorry. I deserve to represent you a little better than that. So when the lady called me, because she was expecting the bear, and she got the lamb. 
Hey, how you doing? She, I bet she's like, who is this? <laughs> yeah. Who is, who is this guy? You know what? Yesterday is yesterday. I'm so sorry. It was just a stressed out day. I had eight, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? God is good. That's what I said. God is good. The fact that the chairs are coming today, the fact that it's in our own building, the fact that he took us out of Egypt and brought us into the promised land. I ain't got nothing to complain about because I ain't trying to go back to Egypt. So if it's just an inconvenience of me sacrificing a few hours and still get our chairs, let that be. Because I thought about it. There's nothing I didn't do sitting at this table by myself in this place that I don't do at home by myself sitting upstairs. Hmm. Only thing I got is Preacher and Stacy. That's important, but you know. <laughs> what I'm saying is sometimes we need to repent. It don't happen in a minute. But you need to, at some point, come to God and say, you know what? I was tripping. And maybe you need to apologize to someone. You know? I looked at what you just said about basing it on um, Sister Nancy's message on Sunday mm -hmm. about turning your complaining into compassion. Yeah. So, you know, just from you uh, just saying that, you know, like you say, one day I was this way and the next day it turned from complaining into compassion. Yeah. So that's how, that, that's how we do. And all that came from what's in your portfolio from Minister K. It, 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 it's just expounding. And see, that's what I that's why I tell people. I say, all of us, that's why I like listening to y'all. Because y'all don't know the nuggets I get that God say, you hear what she said? I say, yep. I say, she don't even know what she said, do she? No, she don't know. But you're going to explain it. You're going to expound upon it. Yes, sir. Praise God. I can learn from anyone in this building. For real. I can learn from each one of you. Each one of you teach me something. Because I'm willing to submit to you and consider you more important than me. All right, I hope that you like this lesson. Come on, Arsenio, let's get ready to wrap this thing up. I thank you guys for tuning in. If you listen around the world, please consider like, subscribing, and sharing on your favorite platform as you're listening to it. If you like to, look in the description box and send us a little donation. That's fine. A dollar will do. We thank God for it. Amen. We always want you to be encouraged, blessed, and peace. And always what? Walk in Truth. Thank you for tuning in to the Walk in Truth Christian Fellowship Church broadcast on the WITRN network. Come join us every Sunday at 9 a.m. Central Standard Time for Sunday worship. Bible study is held on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. We are located at 3006 North Lindbergh Boulevard, Suite 711. St. Louis, Missouri, 63074. All are welcome and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Church Hurt is real. We would like to hear your story to help others who have been abused in church. Only when we speak up can we begin to heal from the pain. Please send your story confidentially to the email witminyahoo.com.